John chapter 4, reading from verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Those disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You were right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. We're neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. 
Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Before we turn to the Lord in the text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that your word would be preached faithfully, and that all of us here in this room would gaze upon your beauty as your beauty is revealed in the person of your Son. Father, may we all see him in all of his glory, in all of his fullness of grace and truth, as we see him conversing here in this wonderful conversation with this Samaritan woman. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, So what did we see last week when we were in this text? What did we see last week? Well, it's about 6 p.m. Jesus is resting beside a well. He's weary from his journey. Um, He's probably hungry. In fact, his disciples have gone into the city to buy food, and he's almost certainly not only weary and not only probably hungry, he's almost certainly thirsty. Because when a Samaritan woman comes to draw water, what does he do? He asks her for a drink. And you remember her response. We read it a moment ago. She says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She's shocked at his request that he would ask her for a drink. Now, why is she shocked? It's not so much the shock of being asked for a drink by a stranger, right? And that would be shocking. You imagine the person next to you on the bus saying, Let's grab a sip of that, please, quickly. Right? That would shock you. would never forget that if that happened to you. If a stranger asked you for a drink. But that's not her shock, is it? Her shock isn't being asked for a drink by a stranger. Her shock is being asked for a drink by a Jewish man. Because, as we should probably translate verse 8, Jews and Samaritans don't share drinking vessels. That's her shock. Her shock is that a Jewish man would be willing to drink water from the same cup as a Samaritan woman. That's her shock. And Jesus' response is so wonderful. He says, if you knew who you were talking to, if you just knew who you were talking to, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, why is that so wonderful? Why is Jesus' response so wonderful? It's wonderful Because that very morning, this woman woke up next to a man who wasn't her husband. And he was one man in a line of six men who she'd woken up next to. And what does Jesus do with her? He doesn't scold her like the religious leaders would have scolded her. He doesn't excuse her like her friends might have excused her. Nor does he use her like those men did. Instead, Jesus is completely unlike anyone she's ever met. He pursues her, not to use her, not to take anything from her, but to give something to her, to give her 
living water. Now, if you weren't here last week to see some of that, then you're in good company because neither were the disciples. Look with me at verse 27. This is where we pick up this morning. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? It's really interesting, isn't it, when you think about this? Jesus shocks both the woman and his disciples, but he shocks them for completely different reasons, doesn't he? She was shocked at the way he handled her ethnicity. He was willing to drink from the same cup as a Samaritan. They're shocked at the way he handles her gender. They're shocked that he's speaking to a woman. Because the rabbinical rule was, quote, let no one talk with a woman in the street, no, not with his own wife. That was the rule. And Jesus is breaking that. And it's wonderful. Because in a sense you want to say, Jesus is not only unlike anyone this woman has ever met, he's unlike anyone that anyone has ever met, including the disciples. But notice these two questions. In light of the shock that Jesus is talking with a woman, it seems like there may have been two questions that the disciples felt but never asked. Has that ever happened to you? You have a question that you feel inside, but for whatever reason you don't ask it, it's possibly what's happened with the disciples here. They have these two questions that they feel, but never ask. What do you seek? And why are you talking with her? And these questions will be our framework for this morning. All I want to do is answer these two questions. What does Jesus seek from this woman? We'll look at that briefly. And then secondly, why is he talking to her? This is where we'll spend the most of our time. But firstly... What he seeks. Reading verses 27 through 30. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Question. What does Jesus seek from this woman answer he sought a drink of water you know there's something beautiful about embracing weakness for the sake of love there's something really beautiful about embracing weakness for the sake of love and i'll give you an example of what i'm talking about picture a father wrestling with his son Right, as Henry, my six-year-old boy, and I often do. Picture a father wrestling with his son. What does the father do? Right? If he's a good father, what does he do? He lets the son win, doesn't he? He lets the son win. He lets the son beat him. And there's something wonderful about that, right? Embracing weakness, at least pretend weakness, because the son's not really willing, although you don't tell the son that. Embracing weakness... For the sake of love. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That picture of a father wrestling with his son. The picture of embracing weakness for the sake of love. And something similar is happening in chapter 4. The Jesus that John writes of here is the Jesus John wrote of in chapter 1. 
In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So everything in the universe, all of the stars, all of the galaxies, everything on this earth, all the rivers and mountains and oceans were made by Jesus and through Jesus. Yet, what has that same Jesus done in chapter 4? Like a father wrestling with his son, he's embraced weakness and love. But it's not pretend weakness, is it? Jesus is really tired. The one who had the power to make everything in the beginning is actually experiencing the weakness of being tired. And he's really thirsty. The one who made all the fresh water on this earth is actually experiencing the weakness of being thirsty. And so in that weakness that he has embraced for the sake of love, what does he seek from this woman? He seeks a drink of water. So that's the answer to the first question. In his weakness, he seeks physical water. And it seems like, verse 28, she gave it to him. She leaves her water jar. And I think that means she leaves her water jar there for him to drink from. But that leads to the second question, which is where we'll spend the most of our time. Why is he talking with her? The answer is threefold. It also has something to do with water. It's the first part. It has something to do with food. That's the second part. And it has something to do with a harvest. And we'll take those one at a time. Firstly, water. As we've just seen, Jesus sought from this woman a drink of water. And you might think, well, that's the answer to the second question. Why is he talking with her? He's talking with her to get from her a drink of water. And in some sense, it is the answer. He really was thirsty, and he really wanted a drink, so he spoke with her. But then go deeper than that. Was getting a drink of water from her his greatest priority in speaking with her? Was that the main reason he spoke with her? Because he was thirsty and he wanted water. That probably would have been our main priority if we were thirsty, right? And she had water. Or if we had a headache and she had coffee, right? That's, that would be our number one priority. Just, just give me the water, give me the coffee. But is that Jesus' main priority here? It wasn't, was it? It wasn't his greatest priority. His greatest priority wasn't satisfying his own physical thirst. His main priority was satisfying her thirst with living water. And it's wonderfully selfless. Jesus is really thirsty, and he remains really thirsty right up until verse 28. But his big concern is not his thirst, it's her thirst. That's his big concern. His big concern is not taking water from her, but giving water to her. That's his big concern. So the deeper answer to the question, why are you talking to her, is this. I'm talking to her in order to give her living water. That's why. And that's the first part of the answer. It has something to do with water, namely giving her living water. The second part of the answer, why are you talking with her, has something to do with food. 
So look with me at verses 31 to 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Think with me for a moment about food. Think about food. Food's really interesting. On the one hand, there is something so basic about food, right? You think of life's necessities. You've got oxygen, you've got water, and you've got food. That's about it, right? Food is one of life's just absolute basic necessities. But on the other hand, there is something so unnecessary about food. And what I mean by it is this. Yes, it's one of life's necessities, but it's also one of life's greatest pleasures. Food really is. And I think we all have experienced that. I mean, think of this experience. You're really, really hungry. You're weak with hunger. Your stomach hurts you're so hungry. You get home and your husband or wife has prepared your favorite meal for you. Just fill in the blank, whatever your favorite meal is. And there it is. It's on the table. Hot on the table. Right? And you sit down, you say grace, and then you start eating. How does that feel? What's that experience like? It's wonderful, right? Your basic need for food is being met. You're being sustained by food. But it's much more than that. Your taste buds are being satisfied. It's enjoyable. You just want to keep eating because you're enjoying it so much. That's what food is like. It not only sustains you in that sort of basic sense, it also satisfies you in that sort of luxurious, enjoyable, delightful sense. Now, with that in view, go back to the disciples' question. Question, why are you speaking with this woman? Jesus, why are you speaking with this woman? Answer, because his food, that which not only sustained him, but satisfied him, gave him joy and pleasure was to do the will of his father, and it was his father's will for him to pursue this woman and give her living water. That's what Jesus is saying here. And think with me about how wonderful it is for Jesus to use this imagery of food to describe his encounter with this woman. Firstly, what does it reveal about Jesus' heart? It's not only that he's selfless, it's that he's joyfully selfless. You know, throughout the conversation with this woman, Jesus was probably physically hungry. But ultimately, he wasn't hungry at all. He was feasting because talking to this woman, loving this woman, reaching this woman, pursuing this woman, that was deeply satisfying to Jesus. So much so that his physical hunger wasn't even a factor. And you've probably experienced this, right? When you're doing something that you love, you forget about food, don't you? That was what talking to this woman was like for the Lord. He loved doing it. It brought him joy and satisfaction to see someone like this reach, to just talk with her, converse with her. It was deeply satisfying 
to him. That's how he felt with regards to her. It was like food to him to talk with her. Secondly, think about the father. Think about the one who, as it were, prepared this meal for Jesus to eat, prepared this encounter between Jesus and this woman. And you see so clearly in the text that the father has prepared this encounter, that the father has, as it were, prepared this meal for Jesus to eat. Time and time again, there's these chance events that lead to this encounter. Jesus happens to learn his life is in danger. He happens to flee Judea as a result. It just so happens he has to pass through Samaria. He happens to get tired on his journey. He happens to rest by a well. This woman happens to come to him at the very same time he's there. It has very clear marks of the father orchestrating things, right? The father, as it were, preparing this meal, preparing for his son this encounter. Why? Why did the father do all this work of preparing this meal, preparing this encounter? Because like the Lord, like Jesus, he loves this woman and he wants to reach her and give her living water. So that's the second part of the answer. Question, why is Jesus speaking to this woman? Answer, because it was like food to him. It brought him deep sustenance and satisfaction to do his father's will. And it was his father's will for Jesus to reach this woman, to save her. But it was also his father's will to save more than just her. And so we come to the final part of the answer. Question, why is Jesus speaking to this woman? Answer, it not only has something to do with water, it not only has something to do with food, it also has something to do with a harvest. So reading verses 35 to 42. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that, that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So there's at least two parts to the picture that Jesus paints here. Firstly, there's the harvest. Now what is the harvest? What does Jesus mean when he speaks about the harvest? Well, the harvest, very simply, are the people coming out to see Jesus. Remember verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to him. So do you get the picture that Jesus is painting here? This woman has gone back into town and has said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Think about how transformed she's been just in that moment. She goes from trying to conceal from one man the fact that she's had five husbands and woke up next to a sixth man who was not her husband to not caring if the whole town knew that she had had five men and was with now a six who wasn't her husband. There's this wonderful transformation in her life. But she goes back into town. She tells that to the townspeople. And they come. 
So in verse 35, when Jesus says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest, we should read this literally. People are literally coming, and Jesus is literally saying, look up and see the people coming. So that's the harvest. People coming to see Jesus and receive from him the same thing this woman received. Now the second part of the picture, the sowers and the reapers in that harvest. Who are the sowers and the reapers? Well, the reapers, again, simply, uh, it's clearly the disciples. Right. Start of verse 38, Jesus says, I sent you to reap. And they are about to reap, aren't they? Right. They're going to labor among the Samaritans to help bring them to faith in Jesus. So the reapers are the disciples. But then a more difficult question, perhaps. Who is Jesus referring to at the end of verse 38? Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Who are the laborers? You know, some people think this refers to Moses. Some people think it refers to maybe John the Baptist. Some people think that it maybe refers to Old Testament prophets. But all of that is wrong. Because you, do you know who this refers to? who the laborers are. The laborers refers to Jesus and the woman. That's who the laborers are here. Who has just sown seed? Jesus has just sown seed in this woman's heart. And what has she done in turn? She's gone and sown seed in the lives of her neighbors, hasn't she? And you see this hinted at in verse 35, the fact that the laborers refers to Jesus and the woman. Because in verse 35, Jesus says, you know, as it were, normally there's a long time between sowing seed and harvesting, months if not years. There were still four months at this point before the harvest. But Jesus is saying, the seed I sowed only moments ago, and the seed she sowed, only moments ago, that's already ready for harvesting. That's what's being said here. And it's so wonderful, isn't it? Jesus wasn't just willing to talk to a woman, which was shocking enough to his disciples. He was willing to work with a woman to bring many to know him and his love. You know, this woman may have had many husbands, but I think it's fair to say she had far more converts than husbands because Jesus was willing to use her and work with her and work through her in this wonderful way. Because from this point on, people could point to her and say, not there's the woman who had five husbands, but there's the woman who in part I came to know Christ through. Indeed, even now, there's people in heaven who can say that. There's the woman who God used to reach me. And maybe even you will be able to say that this morning. If you haven't embraced the Savior of the world, I would implore you to do so now. He knows your sin. But if you come to him like this woman did, he won't scold you for it and he won't judge you for it. 
because he died for it. Believe that and you'll receive the living water of eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that all of us would believe the gospel that you so loved the world that you sent your son into history and he lived and he died and he rose again and he did that for us. May we believe it, may we rejoice in it, may we sing to you a new song because of it. For your glory and the good of our neighbours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.